Hello and welcome back to Mining Stock Daily with me, Paul Harris. Today we're talking about lithium development, exploration and development in Latin America. And I have great pleasure to be joined by Simon Clark, who is CEO of American Lithium. Good morning, Simon. Good morning, Paul. Thanks for having me. Well, no, thank you. Um, you've just put out this morning a resource update on your Falchani lithium deposit, which is in Puno in Peru, and um, a very impressive 476% increase in the measured and indicated resources compared with your uh, 2019 resource uh, estimate. I must imagine you have to be very happy with that uh, that growth. Yeah, no, it's been um, it's been a great result. Um, you know, it's not always been uh, that easy to to be working in Peru. In uh, in the last couple of years, um, you know, under the prior regime, but we now have a government that is very pro mining again, and and stuff's happening, and and we're back in the field working, and we managed to uh, conduct a, a a drill program that allowed us to infill and extend the resource. So we're very happy with the results. Now you said the indicated, sorry, the measured and indicated resource is now four hundred forty-seven million tons green, two thousand three hundred twenty-seven parts per million lithium, containing five point five three million tons of lithium carbon equivalent. Um, you said that's one of the makes the deposit one of the largest hard rock deposits in the world. Can you put it uh, the deposit into that sort of global context for us, please? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think I think there's two things. Um, you know, first of all. Uh, from the scale size, I think there's two or three um, hard rock deposits globally that, that that are bigger, but they tend to be they tend to be pegmatites. So they're deposits in Western Australia, for example, where you you know you mine, you crush, um, you concentrate, and then you have to ship them to to China for upgrading and refining. You know, for us, I, I think this makes us the largest hard rock in the Americas, certainly very close. Um, and with us, the style of mineralization at Falchani means that we can actually produce a battery-grade lithium carbonate through the flow sheet. So it doesn't have to go uh, offshore for, uh, for uh, refining or upgrading. We produce a battery-grade product through the flow sheet, which is a, which is a real key distinction, I believe. Okay, I want to talk about uh, getting to the sort of development plans in in a moment. But but before that, in the release this morning, you talked about um, you're also going to update the preliminary economic assessment in November. Um, And a couple of, I guess you gave a couple of guidance points to that. It's going to have an increased lithium price, um, $20,000 per tonne compared to $12,000 per tonne in the previous PEA. And that's enabled you to reduce the the cutoff grade from 1,000 parts per million to 600 parts per million. Um, what, what are some of the other things you're looking forward to or do you expect to see in the November PEA? Yeah, so, so the last PEA at Falchani, as you pointed out, was 2019. Uh, obviously, lithium pricing um, was a lot, lot lower in those days. Still a, still a robust economic analysis. Um, so just increasing the lithium pricing itself um, significantly increases the DMPV and IRR and everything of the project, obviously. Um, the pieces that we're doing beyond that are, as, as well as uh, updating the resource and, and the mine plan that will be in that PEA, so there'll probably be a little bit of refinement on the uh, amount of lithium ultimately produced from the project. Um, you know, I think after phase three, under the last one, we were about 85,000 
tons, that will go up a, a, a little bit. Um, obviously, the bigger the resource, the longer the life of mine, that kind of thing. So we will update the, the overall mine plan. We will also update the economics um, from the perspective of not just the the, uh, the carbon pricing, but op costs and capex in today's world. Um, we actually don't expect, a, 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 you know, a, I mean, there will be a, a jump for sure because things are just more expensive in 2023 than they were in 2019. Um, but I think it'll still be uh, one of the best tier one projects on the global cost curve. We'll see that as it comes out. So you'll see up cost CapEx get updated. We will also um, look at bringing in the byproducts um, that we've talked about in the past. Uh, SOP, uh, we have a high-grade high potassium at Falchani, which enables us to produce an SOP project uh, product, which is not necessarily um, a, a huge boost on the economic side, but it's highly strategic for Peru. Uh, they are uh, importers of uh, pretty much all of the fertilizers, and they have a very large agricultural industry. So this will be very important, especially against the backdrop of the war in Ukraine and tightening of global supply, et cetera. Um, and, then, uh, and then we'll also look to, 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 to bring in cesium for the first time which is used in military applications globally and is a, certainly an interesting critical mineral. And then, um, you know, the other piece as well, um, obviously the, 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 the resource now having a big M&I component is, is, is critical. It can allow us to really focus on, on that part of the resource. And that, as you probably aware, will also form our reserves as we move this project quickly into pre-fees which we're anticipating doing, you know, certainly in the first half of next year. Okay. Now, in the, the 2019 PEA, you were looking at a, a, a scalable project, three phases, as you mentioned, getting to an eventual 85,000 tons per year, 33 in mine life. Um, you, you, with the PEA coming out in November, sticking with the three phases, you mentioned it's going to be a similar scale, but uh, will it also have a similar 33-year similar mine life? Uh, that that may go up a bit, as I say, Paul. You know, we now have a bigger resource. the The mine plan will change somewhat. It will be updated, obviously, and um, there is certainly a lot more scope now as the resource gets bigger to to extend mine life and 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 you know also potentially end up with a a, a higher output. Obviously, as we finalise things over the next few weeks, we'll see where those numbers fall out. Okay, with the uh, the potential cesium and rubidium byproducts, what, what will that imply for the, your process circuit? What will you need to add to that to be able to to produce those? So, so our flow sheet um, in the old um, PA was very much focused on 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 lithium as the as the sole output, as you would expect, and that will still be the main case. Um, but we will sort of have a a, a secondary you know, that'll, it, we'll focus on that for apples to apples, but we'll also showcase the impact of bringing in SOP and, and in particular cesium. Um, we still have some more work to do on, you know, the overall circuits as we move forward. And, and you know, because obviously the trick is when you bring in byproducts, you don't want to impact the lithium production and the lithium recoveries, which are obviously 
the key. Um, it, I mean, this is a lithium mine, and, and it's, it's always going to be its first and foremost a lithium mine. And so you don't want to impact by adding the circuits the, uh, the recoveries of lithium. So it's a fine balance. And, you know, we have, we have some more tweaking to do on that. Um, but, you know, the main thing will be actually rather than taking these products out into the, into the tailings and the waste side of things, they will actually become byproducts with their own circuits. And in terms of the potential production volumes of the cesium and rubidium, how does that fit into the overall market for those products? Um, and the, I guess one of my reference points here is uh, you know, there's a couple of projects out there that are looking to produce scandium as a byproduct, but the volumes they're talking about are massively, massively more than the actual market for, for that particular product. What's the situation for cesium and rubidium? Well, on the cesium side, it, it's, it's a pretty scarce, it's a, a pretty scarce commodity at this time. So, you know, um, I think anything we, we, we produce, I mean, the trick is going to be producing it to the right grade and quality, and we need to figure that out. And we may not have all that figured out as we go through the PA phase. We'll certainly have it done by, by, by pre-fees. Um, you know, what is the right product? Um, you know, is it a concentrate? Is it a final product? How does that look like? Um, so, you know, we will do uh, more market analysis on it, but um, cesium typically has, has historically traded in the $50,000, $60,000 a ton. It's one of those um, markets where there's a few key traders globally. And, um, you know, as long as you meet the specs, they will pretty much take every ton that you produce. So, it's a, as I say, it's really, it's really key for military applications, especially night vision, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, um, it's, it, it's, a, it's a niche market, but it's potentially a, a, you know, a, a highly profitable one. Um, and this is our first step in making sure we can pr- produce a product that can go into that market. Okay. You know, as I said, as, as, as we, as we do the analysis, there'll be um, a, a case focused on lithium, and then we will also start to bring the byproducts in so people can see the potential impact as we refine and, uh, and understand those markets more. Okay, so it sounds like there's going to be more information to come about those, uh, perhaps not in the PEA, but certainly in the PFS next year. Okay, let, let's talk a little bit about some things that um, – potentially are challenging to a mining project. You mentioned yourself, Peru hasn't been the easiest jurisdiction to operate in recently, and you're in the sort of south-southeast corner of uh, the country near Puno, which is uh, has been a, a – it's an agricultural region, has been quite uh, volatile politically over the years, and even sort of resisting mining agricultural regions. So water aspects are, are very <coughs> critical there. Um, what's the situation of the project regarding water? Yeah, I mean, and maybe just take a step back. I mean, Peru Peru has a very strong mining code, a very fair fiscal regime. It's got a long history of mining. Uh, obviously, everyone understands that it's uh, um, highly prospective for a number of minerals. It's a great geologic setting. Um, you know, my reference at the top was that we've just come out of a, a, a prior regime where you had in, I mean, Peru is typically um, centre-right, certainly at the Congress level. Um, the voting system does enable, every now and again, you do see a left-wing president come in. 
And, you know, when that happens, um, you, you know, you have a left-wing president, a center-right um, Congress, often not a lot gets done. Uh, in terms of, Now, if you're a producer, again, with the fiscal regime and the price of the commodities, it's been a great time, but trying to move permitting and development projects ahead can be a little bit more difficult because there's not a lot of things going through the ministries when there's this sort of conflict, if you like. Um, but, uh, you know, I'm, I am happy to report that uh, the new regime that's come in has very much focused on the economy and the environment, really as a means to obviously bring more wealth into regions like Puno um, and help, you know, the, the, uh, the, some of the poorer parts of the country. They recognize the, the, the benefit. And yes, obviously, you, you know, there have been much publicized troubles down there. I mean, things are a lot better. And in general, I would say the majority of, of, of people in these regions recognize the importance of mining um, to their livelihoods. I mean, we're very, very fortunate that we have six communities around our projects in Puno who are highly supportive of the projects. Um, you know, the company's been there in one guise or another for 20 years. There's a lot of trust. They understand the economic potential and the scale of Falchani. Um, and, you know, they regularly meet with government ministers and pound the table on our behalf and say, we need these things driven forward. So we do have exceptional community relations, and, and that's a testament to the communities, but also, you know, our GM in Peru, who does a fantastic job on that front. Um, in terms of water, I, you know, I mean, yes, I mean, in South America, people think of brines. Um, the problem with brines is they use an inordinate amount of water to take up a lot of space, and that can cause community conflicts. Um, we are fortunate uh, that we're in, uh, we're in one of the areas of high rainfall. It's actually one of the tributaries for the Amazon Basin um, comes from this region. And, you know, so there's plentiful water supply. We also have um, hydroelectric, which is great, obviously, for the green footprint of the, the project and, and, and the power cables pass through um, the concessions. So, you know, there's some, some major uh, hydroelectric facilities um, within the vicinity. And, you know, then if you look at actually where it is, we're also about half an hour off the Two Oceans Highway, which is the main highway connecting obviously Brazil and Peru and the Atlantic and the Pacific ports. So, you know, from an infrastructure perspective, we're also pretty well located, given the project is over 4,000 metres high. Okay. One, one sort of final question on uh, on sort of potential challenges. You're going to be doing a sulfuric acid leach. Um, obviously, that requires mm -hmm. sulfuric acid, which is also required for the, the copper leaching in Peru. So, um, what, what's your view on the, the possibility of being able to source sulfuric acid and, you know, one, being able to get it and two, at what price? Because that's one of the uh, copper inputs that um, can be quite hard to get hold of. Yeah, it's great. It's, it, 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 it's a great point. Um, you know, there are, as you point out, a lot of copper mines. We have a very big tin mine up the road. Um, there's a bunch of mines in the vicinity. And obviously what, what, what we're looking to do is we're not bringing in sulfuric acid. We're actually going to have a sulfuric acid plant. So we'll be bringing in sulfur, which is a byproduct of a lot of the projects in Peru. So we don't see an issue sourcing, sourcing um, sulfur itself. 
um, there may be a, a an opportunity for several of the mines to, you know, centralize a, a, a an asset plant at some point, which may may actually make a lot of sense. And we're looking at some possibilities on that. But for now, we um, you, you, you know, we we model bringing building an asset plant and uh, and shipping sulfur off the site. And, you know. It's funny. I'm I'm more concerned about the long-term supply of sulfur in in a place like the U.S. for our other project than I am in Peru. With all the mining that goes on, sourcing sulfur, it, you know, is, is 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 much less of a challenge. But again, there may be economies of scale and something that could be done with uh, with several of the mines, and we'll continue to look at that as we move forward. So, what's the the development plan here? You've got a PEA coming out in November. PFS pre-feasibility study mid next year. Um, at that point, will you look to start the permitting? How does uh, Falciani fit yeah. in with the broader aims of the company? And you mentioned the, the Nevada project, lithium project you have as well. Yeah, so um, you know, Falciani, Falciani is, is 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 pretty far along the development cycle. I mean, obviously, you know, we've had. Uh, COVID was major in Peru, and then you know we transitioned from from this government. So, um, but but that said, it's uh, it, it's it's the, the the flow sheet that has been worked on for several years. We're pretty comfortable with where that's at. Um, uh, you, you know, we we've already started the permitting work. I mean, when when we weren't getting our permits through during the last regime, the team was extremely um, inventive. Um, and smart, and and actually filed our environmental impact assessment, which is one of the key components of permitting a mine. So we got on with that early. Um, we're you know we're almost through that process now, um, and one of the byproducts of that is, is it, it it does enable you to to do some drilling. You're drilling for hydrological reasons to check on water table, water flows, that kind of stuff. And we didn't have any issues with that, but uh, you know, again, a byproduct is we can take core, and that's what we did. Um, and so that is well ahead of schedule. I think we may, uh, you know, touch wood. Um, we may have good news on that in the coming months. And obviously, once you have that, you've got a key component of permitting a mine already locked up. Plus, once you have it, you can drill wherever you need without the need for future permits. So it's a it's a key step. We're, we're well through it. Um, and that should help us fast track permitting in general. And, you know, I mean, Peru, um, you know, I mean, I'm not saying that it's always perfect, but um, you, I mean, you look at the permitting situation in Peru and it's actually more streamlined than, uh, than it is in the U.S., assuming it's working. So, for example, lithium as a non-metal, which is what it's deemed in Peru, has a six-month mine permit process. Now... You know, again, as we've had the transition from one government to another, things haven't been perfect. So would you truly get it done in six months? Um, uh, you know, I, I, I think there's a lot of will from the authorities to see this permitted and up and running as quickly as possible. But I think even if you assume, you know, it takes us through 2024 to get PFS and the mine permitted, you know, I think you could certainly see this project that final investment decision for a build, you know, um, you know, by mid twenty twenty five, if not earlier. So there's a lot of there's a lot of ways that it can be fast tracked. And again, I think by 
by getting a lot of this early work done ahead of time, it really positions us well as we go into next year and, and really mine permitting becomes a key focus of the company. To, to what extent or not do you think that uh, Peru qualifies as a, as a friendly country to, for the U.S. in terms of all the, the financing mechanisms and grants and whatever that the U.S. government is making available for the development of critical metals such as lithium and cesium and things like that? It's, it's a great, it's a really good question because, um, you know, obviously we're, we're involved in Nevada as well, as I, as I mentioned. And, you know, uh, the, the, the U.S.'s production of lithium is you know, 4,000 tons a year or whatever it is out of Silver Peak. It's very, very small. Obviously, you know, Thacker Pass um, is a big project and we're, we're very keen to see that built and come on because we're a very similar claystone to that. Um, and so there are, there, are, um, there are a number of key deposits in the U.S. which will definitely help that. Um, uh, but, you know, a lot of these deposits in the U.S. are what I would term unconventional. Um, and, and, you know, something like Falchani, for example, could make a huge impact on the domestic supply chain as well. And so we've always been very focused on that. And, um, and, and the, you know, that's where we would hope that Falchani's production would ultimately go. So, you know, we've seen, we, we, we've seen a fair amount of support, you know, by the American government and the, and the Canadian government in the country. Obviously, we'd like to see that continue and and uh, and increased um but you know specifically if you look at the us the inflation reduction act would cover peru it's never been formally acknowledged yet by the by the us government but it is a trading partner so it it, it would qualify so you would get the benefits of that um but again i you know i always caution that um you know and i and, I, and i'm not taking a knock at China specifically, because I don't think that's really for me to do. But you have to look at what's happened in Africa. Uh, you have to look at what's happening in Argentina and Chile. Um, you know, the Chinese, the, the Chinese have understood the need for these metals for decades, and they've moved swiftly. They've been smart, and 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 we've we've been slow. And you know, I think the. U.S. government gets it now. We're seeing some some of these great initiatives. Uh, I'd like to see more, and I and I think Peru, um, you know, is, as you know, for us as well, we also have a uranium asset which is historic. We didn't set out to to acquire it. It's a great asset in its own right, but there's lots of critical minerals in Peru, and uh, you know, clearly our vision remains that those should come into the into the. Um, domestic supply chain um, but you know I think I think there needs to be more done by the US um, Canadians and Australian governments who are pretty active down there uh, and um, you know to really support the country and the development of these assets I think they can do more um, and you know I think with the inflation reduction act applying to Peru, you know, there's real opportunity there as well. Well, let's maintain our, our worldview for our final question, if I may, Simon. You must have been looking on with great interest at some of the hard rock M&A activity or, or, or playing out in Australia. Um, I'm thinking of Albemarle and SQM both making offers for, for smaller companies and, you know, however they plan out, play out. I mean, it must be encouraging to you to see some of these bigger, much bigger companies looking at the, the junior developers such as yourself? 
Yeah, I, listen, I think the strategic side of, uh, of the market is very strong. Um, you know, and the fact that you're seeing your OEMs come in and finance projects as well and end users just shows, you know, when you hear the, the, the senior people from GM saying they bet the farm on this, you understand why they're putting $650 million into Thacker Pass and they're not relying on governments. They need to, they need to source their own supply uh, going forward because, you know, if they don't, they're going to be out of business. And that, and that is where, you know, China could really dominate um, and that could definitely be an issue. So, so um, you know, when I look at it globally, I, I'm, I'm really excited about the M&A and the strategic side. I, I wish um, the more mainstream institutions on the stock market um, and a lot of the investors have figured out um, how, how key this part is because I think a lot of explorers and developers in this space you know, are, are struggling for capital because there is this dichotomy or split or whatever you want to call it where the strategic side is fully aware of what's coming and yet it doesn't seem to have um, come into the mainstream, uh, certainly the generalist funds, um, in, certainly in the West. I think Australia is somewhat different. Um, so, um, but, but it's very exciting. I mean, there's more and more players coming into the space. I saw a piece last night about a BHP has stayed out of it today. Would they would they be coming in? I mean, obviously you've started, you know, you've seen Rio. We've heard rumblings about Anglo. Um, I would imagine at some point BHP will will make the bet, but who knows? I mean, that's down to them. But but certainly there's more and more mining companies. There's more and more chemical companies, which really were what Albemarle and Livent and others were, and they're they're now becoming much more mainstream on the mining side and. So lots of great developments, and you know we see lots of strategic interest in both projects. We we don't have any debt, we don't have any royalties. We've never taken an offtake to this point because we've been well funded. Um, but we certainly, as these projects move through pre fees and into mine permitting, obviously bringing in the right strategic partners and strategic capital is going to be a key step for us. And uh, lots of interest in that. And yeah, we're very excited about the future. Well, I look forward to hearing more about that with the PEA in November and next year with the PFS. American Lithium trades on the TSXV under LI and on the NASDAQ under AMLI. Simon Clark, CEO, thank you very much for joining us today. Thank you, Paul. Really appreciate it. And that's all from me, Paul Harris. Stay tuned for more from Mining Stock Daily. The information presented should not be considered investment advice. Mining Stock Daily and its affiliates are not responsible for any loss arising from any investment decision in connection with the material presented herein. Please do your own research or speak with a licensed financial representative before making any investment decisions.